0: Hello and welcome to the Bunker Daily. My guest today knows as much about Russia as anyone in British journalism. He was The Guardian's Moscow correspondent from 2007 to 2011 before becoming the first foreign journalist to be expelled from Russia since the end of the Cold War, a dubious honour. He's the author or co-author of eight books, some of which have inspired Oliver Stone's Snowden, the Julian Assange biopic The Fifth Estate, and Lucy Preble's award-winning play A Very Expensive Poison. Following 2017's collusion, his latest book on the shenanigans of Putin and Trump uses more formal term, uh, Shadow State is out now. Welcome, Luke Harding. Thanks for joining us. That, thanks, Dorian. I'm, I'm thrilled to be with you. It's, it's, it's an honour. <laughs> Lovely. Um, <laughs> so I was going I've, to, I've, I've had to rejig, rejig the questions at the last minute because apparently with um, Chris Grayling failing to get the uh, chairmanship of the Intelligence Committee and Julie Lewis instead, the Russia report that we've been waiting for is apparently due out on Monday.
1: Or, or possibly um, Wednesday. It's it's not
0: entirely clear, but certainly next week, I think we can say for sure. Um, what was the status? Of, I mean, does it does that does that surprise you? Did you did you get the feeling that it was going to be? You know, they were trying to kind of kick it into the long grass, or did you feel like the pressure was such that that this had to come out?
1: Well, I, I think I think we're living in, in uh, a kind of age. Uh, sort of scripted by by either Goggle or Quentin Tarantino or or, or both. I mean, it's so weird and dark and, and astonishing and, and also kind of grimly funny. I mean, I mean, Chris G- Grayling was trying to become the chair of Parliament's Intelligence and Security Committee, and he didn't realise there was a secret plot against him. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> by the opposition and Julian Lewis. I mean, he he was um, Boris Johnson. Dominic Cummings's choice to 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 kind of take over this committee, um, and we we sort of don't know what secret instructions he had. I mean, there were three options for this report. We've been waiting for it for eight months. There's huge expectation, possibly overblown. But but had Grayling got the job, then he could have either published the report, uh, kind of now or down the road. He he could have called it back in for re-editing um make of that what you will or you could have smothered it so so now i think what we're going to get is we're going to get the report soon in its original form um and while I i don't think it's going to kind of blow up downing street and bring the whole johnsonian temple crashing down i suspect there's something in there which is mildly embarrassing because you have to ask yourself why has johnson slash cummings why have they burnt so much political capital in suppressing this thing um and There are two possibilities which I can walk you through. Shall I walk you through?
0: What you expect that might be in there. Yeah, yeah, please.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, so I think one possibility is there's something in there from Christopher Steele, the former MI6 spy who wrote the the notorious Trump dossier in 2016 and and whom Trump attacks on a daily basis. Now, he gave evidence. He's one of several expert witnesses who, who... um, submitted various things to the committee in two thousand and eighteen, including a um a seven page strategic overview memo which I got hold of and published in the Guardian um last month and it said that um so he still told the committee that that basically he'd tipped off British intelligence um after Trump was elected and said there's a strong possibility Trump was compromised by the russians now that that 's in the that 's in the base evidence now whether that makes the final report i don 't know, but you can see that that Clearly, if there's anything in there which is disparaging of Trump or suggests that he's in cahoots with Vladimir Putin, that the the, the the sort of nightmare scenario for Downing Street is that Trump sees this, Var Fox sends an apocalyptic tweet about how the awful Brits have been spying on him, and this imperils a Brexit trade deal. So that that's kind of that's one sort of political vector, if you like, and, and the other is all about Russian influence and Brexit, which is something I explore in my book, Shallow State. I have a whole chapter in it called Moscow Gold. And and clearly they are neuralgic about the idea that the Russians played any role in Brexit um, and don't want people to to look at that. And and, um, I have to say, it's been quite a dispiriting couple of years. I mean, I've been examining this. I write about this in my book. Carol Cadwallader, my colleague from The Observer, has been looking at it. Um, And a lot of your listeners are, are hugely interested in what Russia did and didn't do. But Johnson and his predecessors, Theresa May, um, are are profoundly uninterested in this and don't want to interrogate it. And and I think
0: this also has the potential to embarrass. And I mean, there are uh, probably some unrealistic expectations around the Russia report. There certainly were around um, the the Mueller report. I think there is an idea that kind of the, so many of the things that have, have been going wrong over the last four years um, could be solved by the right sort of smoking gun. Now you call the Mueller report um, a historic myth, and you go into, into quite a lot of detail. But just briefly, what what went wrong there? Is that what what could what could have been done differently that would have made that report land uh, with real impact?
1: Yeah, I, I mean that's a really interesting question. Um, I think the the problem with Ro- Robert Mueller was that he 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 was he was like a sort of Boy Scout. going into a kind of gambling den uh essentially um with 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 his kind of uh, with his sort of virtuous sort of bureaucratic upstanding manner and unfortunately he was he was dealing with people who who cheat and lie um and dissemble um on on a regular basis and he never got an interview with donald trump he didn't follow the money i mean he never investigated uh trump's Thirty-five-year sort of business dealings with with the former Soviet Union, um, which which go back to the mid nineteen eighties, uh, and his multiple trips to Moscow, and and also he didn't really tell the Russian side of the story. I mean, he he looked he interviewed a few Americans and he looked at the electronic record, but he didn't kind of try and reconstruct who was behind this sweeping and systematic operation to to basically upend hack American democracy. And 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 lastly, that the language was rather opaque. I mean, I think very few people will have read it to the end. It, it's it's a sort of stunningly legal, densely legal document. So he sort of failed in his job as kind of communicator to the American nation. Um, having said all that, the U.S. did at least try and have a serious look at what happened in 2016, and that's in great contrast to our politicians. Theresa May, Boris Johnson, who've just looked the other way. I mean, Theresa May was quite vocal about Salisbury, but she was super quiet about Russian interference in in Brexit, which definitely happened, whether you believe it was determinant or not Mm. on the
0: result. Because, I mean, there's there's sort of two... I, I, I got two impressions of Russian intelligence services that came out of the book, and sometimes they seemed very cunning, and sometimes they just seemed sort of... Uh, laughably kind of obvious and, and inept. And, and if you're on Twitter, you know, every day you see a troll being accused of being a Russian bot. I think a lot of people know about the, the work of the internet research agency, disinformation. Do you think there is a tendency sometimes to think that Russian intelligence is sort of more clever, more effective, more ubiquitous than it really is? That, that to, to see the presence of Russia everywhere, or, or, or is it? You know, or is is indeed correct? <laughs>
1: Well, I i mean I think it's a mixture. I mean I I write in Shadow State that 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 Russian espionage that that the GIU military intelligence agency, I compare it to a shambling and dopey golem. Um so you've got this kind of golem careening down your street and you think, ha ha ha, there's a golem, isn't it stupid? And then the golem takes its fist and smashes your roof in. And, and then it's kind of less funny. Um mm. and uh, in other words th- th- there's no doubt that there's been a kind of decline in russian spycraft that that the the KGB back in the day used to recruit very bright talented people who who were who were linguists who were capable who were charming uh, you think of even off the, the the russian spy who slept with Christina Keeler, who then in turn slept with john perfumo and and so on who who was a, a, a sophisticate you know red books hosted Parties was was much liked in in London society. And then you compare him with with his successors, uh, Mishkin and Shapiga, the two kind of bungling Salisbury assassins, who gave this disastrous interview on Russia Today, where where they said they'd gone to Salisbury to look at its beautiful Gothic spire, which they'd read about. It's 123 metres tall. Yeah, 123 metres tall. I mean, they forgot to mention this kind of scissor vaulting, but, but <laughs> um, it was clearly gleaned from a kind of two-minute read of Russian Wikipedia. Um, and it's sort of funny, except it isn't funny, because first of all, they almost killed their target, Sergei Skripal. They almost killed Sergei Skripal's daughter, Yulia, who was sort of collateral damage. And they did kill Dawn Sergis almost four months later with with another uh, or possibly the same perfume bottle of Novichok. We, we don't we don't quite know. Um, so th- there are sort of grim killers out there working for for what we now know to be a kind of top secret um, Gru um, diversionary unit based in the French Alps, uh, going around Europe undercover, doing operations in Switzerland, trying to poison a Bulgarian arms dealer, um, attempting to kill Sergei Skripal. Uh, and so on. And what's kind of curious about, about the, the Russian state after two decades of Putin is this admixture of old Soviet stuff. So, so like kind of uh, classic murder operations similar to, to, to killing Trotsky, for example, with an ice pick or, or whatever, uh, uh, but also with, with the whole kind of uh, exploiting our digital world. Element thrown in where, where, whereby instead of sending undercover agents to, to live among us for, for 25 years and to pass themselves off as Brits or Canadians or whatever, they, they just have kind of burner trolls. They have people who set up accounts on Twitter. Um, and probably after this podcast, they'll start tweeting abuse at you. <laughs> so, so, so um, and, and, that they try and flood the zone basically with with, with confusion and with kind of pro Putin messaging.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I remember I had a very strange experience where back in maybe 2011, I was asked to write a little end of year thing, and it was a jokey thing about Putin. It was kind of critical but light hearted, and there were lots of comments from people I wasn't familiar with, which of course this was just like must have been your sort of daily job. But it was the first time I noticed like that there were there were kind of people waiting out there, and as soon as you said something critical of Russia that they would, they would sort of spring into action.
1: It, it may have been your irrepressible charisma or your, or your peerless writing style, <laughs> or, or it may indeed have been uh, yes. a bunch of cynical 20-somethings uh, sitting in, in an office in St. Petersburg on, on shift who are... Who, who have quite sophisticated kind of uh, sophisticated algorithmic equipment so whenever russia pops up as a topic for discussion in, in english language space they immediately kind of astroturf that zone and and, and we we at the guardian have, have had that for decades i mean it it was it was coming up when i was still in moscow in about 2010 2011 and um <clears throat> primarily in russian language forums and then it then basically in the same way that kind of Russian tanks started overrolling countries, Russian trolls moved from 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 Russian language to English language, and also their English improved. I mean, I mean, a decade ago they were in clunking English. They pretended to be Eric, but they were clearly Sergey, and and now actually they can pass themselves off quite well as as authentic. And and very often they 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 pretend to be far right or far left activists. Um. So so they'll align with a certain cause. And, and quite hard to distinguish from the real thing.
0: And you, when you, you know, you write quite a lot about the this, this Skripal poisoning and you make the point that initially, obviously the point of it was to be a real kind of show of strength. You know, nobody is safe uh, from the kind of long arm of Putin. But then you had that absurd interview with, with, the, uh, with the alleged poisoners, the expulsion of Russian diplomats by many countries, um, you know, became this huge international incident do you think ultimately this that meant that it was a a failure for Putin, or did it still achieve some of his goals? Obviously, he didn't kill the person he wanted. It obviously was hugely embarrassing. I mean, how do you think he would assess that incident? Now? I, I I think he would have seen it probably as a two-one victory. In, insofar
1: as the the the, the, the conceded goal was the fact that I think he was taken aback by the the strength of the diplomatic response. I mean, wh- whatever you think of Theresa May, and I, I think she was pretty poor prime minister she she did succeed in making the case internationally sticking to a a unified message and ended up with the expulsion of about 150 giu operatives from embassies around the world and that that's quite a blow to to their um, intelligence sort of gathering capacity so so I, th- I mean last time if you i mean i did another book um, uh, in 2016, a very expensive poison about the murder of Alexander Litvinenko in 2006 with a radioactive cup of tea. And, and the, the Skripal Litvinenko are actually quite similar operations, although carried out by different arms of, of Russian spying. But back then, the the, the, the then Labour government kicked out three Russian diplomats, and that was it. So th- this was a bigger price. But ultimately, I think Putin would see it as, as a success because who cares? that the assassins got caught. And there's a demonstrative element to all of this. Um, it's not subtle. It's supposed to be crude. And and I think that the, there were two messages from Salisbury. One was directed against the British state, the British establishment, MI6, which was... Uh, am I allowed to use expletives on, on your podcast or not? You are, yeah, Okay, which was fuck Just you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was kind of fuck you. We have no respect for you and we can strike whenever we want because you're weak and friendless especially now and but i think the more important message was to the russian elite to people inside russian spying who are thinking about defecting to the west or collaborating with with western special services and that was you may forget about us but we will never forget about you and you might enjoy your your new home in salisbury or your condominium in florida but we we will we will get you we will strike you Mm. uh, and we will just deal you the most awful blow Oh, oh and we'll 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 come after your family as well
0: I think a lot of people, you know, they, they, they do sort of struggle to understand kind of Putin's motivations and, and his, his, his long term strategy, you know, beyond, beyond in the short term, this projection of power and the creation of confusion. Um, and I spoke to Marsha Gessen the other week about, about this. And I wondered, what, what would you say that people most get wrong about, about Putin and what he is trying to do?
1: Um, I think I think they most get wrong, and th- this this is true of Barack Obama, whom whom I admire. They most get wrong how his brain works and his psychology, and and they think that Putin is interested in mutually beneficial solutions. That if we negotiate, if we if we listen to this guy, if we meet with him, if we reason with him, if we explain, then then perhaps w- we can solve problems together. But Putin doesn't think like that. Putin thinks in in A prioristic terms. He's this this sort of classic KGB Soviet mind where he thinks that what is bad for America, for the UK, for the West is good for Russia. He's not interested in mutual solutions. He's not interested in international accords. He's not interested in keeping his word. He, he, he essentially. Uh, is a believer in the sort of leninist idea that 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 Moscow whether it's red moscow or today's moscow is in a state of of semi war sort of permanent semi war or quasi war with with the west uh, and and in that in that geopolitical view america is the main opponent is the glavny protivnik that's still true even with trump there uh, and the uk is a kind of junior partner of americas and therefore and a big player in nato and is therefore also towards the top of the list of enemies
0: and assuming let's say we assume trump loses in november um what has putin got out of his um relationship from from with trump what can he sort of take away and go yes this is a this is a sort of substantial achievement that would uh, i would not have had Uh, with you know hillary clinton in the white house
1: (laughs) (laughs) i mean i mean donald trump is the greatest or is seen in moscow let's say as the greatest success in 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 russian and soviet espionage history Uh, i mean i I would (laughs) literally put it as 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 high as that i mean he 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 has managed to Concretize make real the dreams of a hundred soviet generals um in, insofar as they they had various sort of geostrategic aims they wanted to divide washington from 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 the Europeans they wanted to weaken NATO they wanted um to diminish america's role in the world to fuel civil instability between different American groups, ethnic fault lines cultural fault lines ideological fault lines and the thing is you know putin. Putin didn't invent Donald Trump. He 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 didn't invent the the, the trends that we see in in, in the U.S. or in the West more generally. He didn't invent right wing populism. But what he's managed to do by helping Trump get elected is, is to make everything so much worse. That's his genius. I, I mean, I I sort of say in the book that he he he's not a he's not a supervillain wearing a sort of shiny black leather suit with with a with, with in a back cave with red buttons, sort of pressing this and that and making things happen from from Budapest to to Stornaway um he he's a sort of classic KGB opportunist and adventurist, and so his approach is let's try something and see and so you try lots of lots of things many of them fail and mm. sometimes you you it, you pull it off and with trump and i would also argue to some degree with brexit in these quite narrow highly contested highly politicized 50-50 scenarios the russians pushed on one side and they got the result they wanted. Uh, and and that, that, that is seen as a tremendous success in Russia.
0: And also, seems to be this weird uh, just reluctance for Trump to, to sort of stand up to Putin on stuff that would seem very obvious, like the reports that uh, the Russians were paying um, Taliban bounty to kill American soldiers in Afghanistan, which seems like sort of low hanging fruit for an American president. Why? Why is Trump so reluctant to even pounce on stuff that would seem very obvious and indeed popular with presumably even Trump's base do not like the idea of of bounty being put on American soldiers' heads? Like, what is... I'm not sure I buy the whole... You know, I don't buy the whole thing that Trump is just getting instructions from Moscow, but why is he so uh, passive on this stuff? Well, I mean, I'll I'll answer your question, but, you know, what, what, what would you say? What would your theory be? Well, I think he kind of has a bit of a... I mean, I think he's a bit of a crush on him as a as a sort of an autocrat, you know, a more a more fully realised autocrat. Uh, but this still seems to be that I suppose the particular the Afghanistan case just seemed so uh, um, extreme to me. I was like, surely, you know, you should bring it up. Yeah, so you, t- you tell me. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I
1: mean, the thing is. I, I, I devote a sort of chapter to examining the, 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 the Trump-Putin relationship and, and spool, spool back through the events of Helsinki, which I, I, I think probably are, is I mean, the bounty story is incredible, but it, the, the, the Helsinki summit is the most extraordinary moment of his presidency where he's standing oh, yeah. with Putin. Uh, and every single American intelligence agency has said the Russians meddle in the election to help Trump win. And Putin, in his sort of worm tongue manner, tells Donald that no, no, he didn't. And, and, the world's most powerful man says, "You know, I believe Vladimir Putin over my own intelligence agencies, and e- even people who've been prepared to give him the benefit of the doubt could see that mm. the, these were treasonish comments." And, and the question is, how do you explain it? Well, well, first of all, the the Russians and the Soviets have been cultivating Donald Trump since the nineteen eighties. That that doesn't mean they knew he was going to be president, but but they they have been. He's been on their radar for a very long time. Um, they the 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 KGB file. W- w- on Trump, if it existed in physical form, would be much bigger than your your house, Dorian, which I can see a little bit behind on, <laughs> behind you. I mean, I just want to It's so not that big. You would need an extension to, <laughs> to accommodate the Trump file. Um, yeah. uh, and the thing is, I think in their kind of tete-a-tetes, which by the way, there's no note keeper. The translators are banished. It's it's just the two of them talking. Um, I don't think Putin says, "Look." Donald, we know what you did in the Ritz-Carlton hotel in 2013. Let me just show you a bit of footage to to remind you what went on, because Trump knows what happened, not just then, but on other previous Russian trips, and and Trump also knows about about money from from Russian and Soviet people into his businesses over a very long period, and Putin Putin knows, and Trump Trump knows that Putin knows. So there's nothing has to be kind of articulated or or, or put into put into words. And I think what Putin does is he just says, look, Donald, I'm your friend. I, I will stand loyally by you. you. You are a victim of a deep state plot. You are surrounded by opprobrious forces and, and crazy liberals. We in Russia uh, respect you. Um, we get you. We understand you. I will be your rock. And flattery was, was a classic KGB skill. You learn how to flatter at KGB school. And, and with, with a, a primitive person like Donald Trump, it seems to work. Uh, so I think it's partly the autocrat crush, but it's also the, the, the way that Putin has been able to manipulate this relationship over, over a long period. Plus, the, the compromise is clearly true. I mean, it's not the only explanation. I think the money is a more significant one. But, mm. but the, the FSB, the, the, the Russian spy agency, will have bugged the Ritz-Carlton Hotel, and they'll, they'll have bugged all of Trump's visits to Moscow. And I say that as someone who, who w- was myself bugged. When I was there with my wife for four years in our family apartment in Moscow, we, we had a series of break-ins by the FSB, which were uh, spooky and obvious with a load of idiot clues left all over the place. And I took advice from the British embassy in Moscow and they said, look, yeah, I'm afraid you're, you're being surveilled. And I said, well, look, is there anything you could do about this? And they said, no. And I said, well, what about the bedroom? And they said, yeah, also the bedroom. I have a biscuit. You know, you know, that's the kind of, you know, the, basically we haven't, we're, we're not, we, Britain is not really powerful anymore. We mm. still have embassies. They can't solve any problems, but they'll give you a cup of tea and a biscuit and a sympathetic hearing. Um, so the point is, you know, if they, if, if the, the Russian spy agencies bothered to, to spy on me and my wife, you know, in mm. bed over a period of years then of course they will spy on obama they'll spy on trump they'll spy on any high profile you know general flynn when he visited dignitary coming to moscow and they'll have a complete technical readout of everything they said and everything they did and everyone they slept with should they be foolish enough to do that
0: and, and there is the fear of course that uh that you know the russian uh interference in the in the coming u.s presidential election uh would help trump again. Um, But I suppose I've always been intrigued by this dance of expectations that that sometimes you get these huge claims about kind of Russian power and malfeasance. And then if they are not proven, you get a lot of people, obviously the Russian embassy, but also kind of various journalists on the left, like Glenn Greenwald, and on the right, like Tucker Carlson. and, And they delight in going, oh, ho, ho, you thought it was Russia, you know, spooky Russia, but you haven't got the evidence. So it sort of seems to me that sort of making the right claims is really important so when people talk about possible interference in the elections in your view is that just going to be flooding the zone again is that just having a lot of kind of you know stirring the pot and twitter or is there something more serious regarding i know hacking hacking of election machines or something much more substantial that the us should be uh, looking out for
1: yeah i mean i just want an observation I, mean, I i do find it very strange the way the far left and the far right agree on this issue, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I, I mean it's it's the kind of red brown kind of alliance where where these two poles kind of ho- hold hands um, behind the bike sheds, and and you you have the Tucker Carlsons of this world saying that it's all a hoax, just echoing Donald Trump, and th- then you have a kind of you have a sort of far left counter narrative which says that the Russians didn't do anything. Uh, it, it's all the fault of Hillary Clinton and neoliberalism uh, and selling out to Wall Street, and, and and that that was why she lost. And the point is, y- 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 both things can be true. In other words, Hillary Clinton may well have been was a weak candidate in 2016, and may well have sold out to Wall Street. But at the same time, the Russians absolutely had a had a really quite extensive multi-level uh, espionage operation to help Trump win. Featuring a hacking component, hacking the DNC, which wherever you stand politically, clearly didn't help Hillary Clinton when all that stuff was leaked out. Hmm. Uh, an espionage component, uh, a kind of access component featuring oligarchs, intermediaries who, who, who really got very close to the Trump campaign and cultivation. People like Mike Flynn who, 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 who went to Moscow, got paid by RT, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, I, I mean, I do find it, I do find it very, um, we're I mean, we have to be careful. We have to be factual. We mustn't overstate. Like I said, Putin is not is not the all-seeing supervillain who makes everything happen. But he's he's he sniffs out weakness, and he's 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 good at. And also, the social media operation was kind of hugely effective, and and Facebook was asleep. When it happened, and by the way, it also happened in the UK. There, were, there, was, there was a massive Russian troll operation in support of Brexit. I mean, there, there were there was Sputnik, there was RT, who were pushing out pro-Brexit pieces. pieces. Um, but there was also a big Twitter operation as well. And you know, do, do do Boris Johnson or Theresa May talk about this or acknowledge this? Of course they don't. Of course they don't, because because that that, that would force them to admit that Brexit. Actually, is Russian foreign policy that that it, it's strategically it's what Russia wants because they see Brexit as damaging the European Union, which Putin hates, weakening the UK economically, politically, internationally, making it smaller, and also opening up interesting possibilities for supporting secessionist movements down the road, whether it's another Scottish independence referendum or Wales or or whatever. I mean, essentially, what Putin wants is the breakup of the UK.
0: Mm. But now we're more aware, like so much of this stuff has been so, has been so well reported now. And so we know where kind of, you know, Facebook and Twitter just weren't aware of this disinformation. We know about the kind of, we know about the hacking, we know about General Flynn. Um, where if, you know, we're, we're coming, we're getting closer to the election now. Um, there doesn't seem to have been a similar attack on Biden's campaign yet. Does, does much more awareness... Mean that the, the the Russians cannot do that again, or will they just will they just sort of change tactics? Because it seems that everybody is is wait, is looking out for any sign of of, of meddling in this election.
1: Well, I, I think so. Two things here. What one is, this is a regime that operates without shame or embarrassment uh, and uses lying as as, as a weapon. Putin mm. learned about how to lie in Leningrad spy school. He's very good at it now. He does it with a straight face. You know he says, you know our Western partners accuse us for these crimes but 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 there's no evidence for this, and obviously, if someone's produced, we will work together and meanwhile, what about th- what you guys did in Iraq or et cetera et cetera you know the moral equivalency argument? He's very very good at lying uh, he realizes it di- discomforts the europeans i mean that they, they can't process that there is a world leader you know who lies about everything all the time and and he sees it as just a kind of tool of power so 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 lying is one thing and and the other thing is. Yeah, it's possible the Russians will, will double down and do the same again. Uh, I'd be amazed if they don't do anything, but it's also possible that, that they take the view that it's mission accomplished, that the U.S. has now become so dysfunctional, so polarized that, that, you know, we have to ask ourselves is when Trump loses, if Trump loses, is he going to accept defeat gracefully or is he going to claim he's the victim of electoral fraud and, and plunge the U.S. into kind of unprecedented constitutional crisis? We, we, we don't know uh, that, that, that he can just sort of, he, like an arsonist who, who throws a, a you know, there's already a bit of a blaze you throw on a can of paraffin and then it's blazing up very nicely and you you just sort of go, go back retreat 50 yards and make a cup of tea and watch <laughs> watch watch as everything burns uh, so but what just just lastly on that it's not like oh we got caught that's bad we can't do that again it's that oh we got caught let's be even more blatant next time because it's, it's a projection of Russian power, not just mm. internationally, but also to the domestic audience. It's look, like, you know, we are all powerful. We, we are arbiters. We, we, not only are we co-equals of the United States, we are greater than the US. Mm. And, and Putin's historic mission, as he sees it, and it's, it's got a messianic quality, is to make Russia great again. And he, he's done a better job than the other guy, I would suggest.
0: Well, thanks so much for joining us, Luke Harding. Th- thanks, it's a pleasure. Love uh, it. Luke's latest book, Shadow State, is published by Faber and & Faber and Guardian Books. Thanks for listening to The Bunker Daily. There are new episodes every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday and Friday, and a full weekly show every Wednesday. Take care and see you soon.
1: The Bunker Daily was presented by Dorian Linsky. The producer was Andrew Harrison. The assistant producer was Jacob Archbold. An audio production was by me,
0: Alex Rees theme tune by Kenny Dickinson, Bunker Daily is a Podmasters production.